Welcome to the People Analytics and Future of Work podcast with Al Adamson. Hi, welcome back. I'm here with my longtime friend and colleague, Tony Ashton of One Model. Tony, how are you doing? Hey, Al. Good. How are you? I'm doing real well. Good to see you. And you're calling in from Brisbane, Australia. Is that right? I am. Normally, whenever I'm on a call with anyone outside of Australia, I say the next meeting is at our place. People are excited to do that. Although at the moment, not many, many meetings are happening. Yeah, not in person anyway. Well, yeah, excited to talk with you because when I say longtime friend and colleague, in this case, it's absolutely true significantly now. And because we'll date ourselves, I think we go back to roughly 2003, 2004. Yep. And I want to highlight something right off the bat for listeners is that Tony is one of the few people who've actually sat in role and actually done the work and then went over to a technology company, has been crafting solutions for the better part of 15, 16 years now. So I'm really eager to hear what you have to say. Here we are in 2020 and how the space has evolved and really what has, in your view, been the critical success factors of those organizations that have created a successful people analytics capability. So I've introduced you a little bit, but how about you introducing yourself a little bit more accurately beyond my perspective. That's perfect. Thanks. Yes, I remember when we first connected in 03. And yeah, and many years after that, working together and then you know, continue connecting across different different entities. But yeah, if I roll back, so I'll date myself in two ways. Firstly, kind of the, the wallpaper in, in my background here, my virtual wallpaper, my background is from mid 90s, when I actually also started in people analytics. So I created a role where there wasn't one, basically, because there were lots of questions being asked. I was in a HR strategy role at the time and had been moving across all the different areas of HR. And in every job I found myself, we just needed data. So I jumped into a recruiting role and all of a sudden we had no data. So I was like, okay, I'll build a database and I built one and we had some stuff to track. But it happened when I went into training or learning or all these other different areas. So of course, I kind of was the guy that was in HR, but also could build things. It just kind of naturally fell together. But I also then started pushing the boundaries of what, what was possible, started engaging external partners. And through the evolution of that, you know, came across this kind of little niche company in Brisbane called Inform that was doing people analytics. Obviously, we worked together there many years ago. Yeah. And then that was acquired by SuccessFactors, which was acquired by SAP, where I ran people analytics for, for a couple of years there. But yeah, excited to be now with one model. And we actually, last week, I clicked over my one-year anniversary. So it's time's flying in a, in a really good way. Well, congratulations. And again, excited to talk to you because, again, you can go deep into the technical side, but you can also see where change actually happens in organizations and you know how the, that downstream process of taking insight and driving action you know, really take hold. So as opposed to jumping into the, the data side, can we maybe go backwards? Like in here in 2020, obviously, COVID-19 has disrupted the world. You know, it's a cliche now that the thing that has been most disruptive and thus caused our digital transformation, COVID-19, more than leadership or anything else. And all these processes have created data. And obviously, there's external data, and we need platforms by which to consume that data so we can actually tell a story on how, you know, our organization is going to be affected, what the scenarios, you know, that are going to get us where we we want to go are going to unfold. So if you would, just give us your perspective here in 2020 of those organizations that are doing people analytics well, what are some of the key attributes that you see? 
So I think a lot of it is not necessarily rocket science, but it's focusing on kind of the classics around kind of, you know, having a deep empathy for the people who are consuming that information and or the people that should be consuming that information, more to the point, because, you know, kind of the point of what we're doing is to help managers make better decisions. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of feel like the teams that are doing well are plugged in and getting pulled into those conversations and really helping drive that discussion right now. So some of our customers are doing great. Uh, The ones that were straight out of the gate, you know, helping with surveys of their staff around readiness, working remote for those that aren't familiar with it, those that were creating detailed information for their leadership team around the capability of their people to work in different roles, to be redeployed, the availability of people, leave balances and all this other kind of you know, tactical stuff. So it was, it was those groups that both were connected strategically to how do we get work done and also those that just had a really good handle on the data. Those that could pull it together, turn it around super fast. This is a time when you can't say, I'll get back to you in a few weeks. That's right. right. I mean, you know, as you're talking, I'm just smiling because as you alluded to, as mentioned, I mean, we've worked together before. So we've collaborated, we've thought about the challenge over the years. And for you to go straight to the discussion, because what I have long advocated is that we take a process-centric approach as opposed to a data technology-centric approach, where if we know what questions are needing to be asked and answered, then that can inform the data, in turn, the technologies that are going to consume and analyze the data, and then go back to your internal customer or your stakeholder and engage them in more meaningful conversations. So one of the things that I have was really excited that Chris Butler, you know, CEO of One Model, talked about is the need for a data strategy, making sure that you have the right data in the first place. Can you speak to that and how you help your customers think that through? Yeah, for sure. I think also Nick Garbus and Chris have both posted some blogs on our website if someone wants to go there on onemodel.co. Pretty hard to find. The thing about that is I think it's it's not like you can just spin it up. Now, so if you don't kind of have it, it's going to be hard to create one in a few days. Yeah. Having said that, that's kind of the kind of the capability that we've built to do. Because I think the the three kind of pillars that we see that you need to have to be successful in this space are, you know, great data orchestration. So that's kind of step one. Yeah, you kind of don't get anywhere. You don't get invited to play if you don't have a handle on all the data. And 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 by that I mean kind of almost all the data. So every company out there has many systems. So over the last two years, people have been buying suites. Sure, there's, you know, there's, you know, success factors in Workday and Oracle and there's many others. So you could be buying a suite. No one ever has fully implemented the suite and just has the suite. They have a bunch of other stuff as well, whether it be surveys or whether it be random Excel spreadsheets or whether it be you know, other tools. So, so the reality is you've got to get your data together. You've got to get a handle on it. That's kind of job one. And then job two is figuring out what stories to tell, like you were saying, you know, what are the key questions we need to answer? And are we able to answer those in an agile way and then pivot those to anticipate the next level of questions that are going to come? So kind of data orchestration, storytelling, and then you also need to be then leading the conversation. So that's where machine learning or AI or predictive analytics, whatever kind of banner you want to wrap around it comes in. So those are the three pillars that we put together for the strategies we work with our customers and we build technology to solve those things. But it's not all about the technology as as we were talking about before. So definitely as a team, you need to be able to deal with that as well and have a blended team of people with different skills to have these conversations. 
embedded in what you're saying, correct me if I'm wrong, is the reality that people analytics is a separate discipline. That if you have a core HR system, if you have an applicant tracking system, if you have a performance system, a learning system, does not automatically mean you have analytics. It takes someone, to your point, to orchestrate the data, actually think about how it works together and connects. And in turn, that has to be packaged in ways that can be consumed. And in turn, managers, leaders, HR business partners, whomever, can then take it and affect change. Is that a fair way to, to summarize it? Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, what's interesting, and I've worked within a vendor of a big suite of solutions, the HRS and similar kind of solutions out there, almost none of them get analytics as a topic. They understand the processes that they're running and they see them as processes and transactions and and everything else. But there's a reason why we exist and, and we have customers who come to us who have those solutions because analytical thinking is different to transactional thinking mm-hmm. and process-oriented thinking. And it's, yeah, and you kind of, you don't get it if you don't get it, right? So, yeah. so definitely there is a, a big opportunity there for people to step outside of the process map that they've got for how they do whatever it is, performance agreements or, you know, learning you know, learning programs or, or whatever it might be there, you know, the recruiting pipeline, understanding how these things tie together and how you, how you end-to-end you know, link people to business outcomes, that's analytics. As you're sharing this, it, it, it dawns on me that many CHROs over the years have been very open with me and saying, Al, I, I don't know what people analytics is right here, right now. You know, it's not their day in and day out job. In other words, they don't know oftentimes what's possible. And oftentimes they do not know how to budget for it properly, you know, from a people process technology and and governance standpoint. So let's just say that because they didn't grow up as, you know, most of them aren't people analytics professionals, they don't have analytical backgrounds, they have HR backgrounds, or they might have operational backgrounds. So for that type of audience, if you're talking to a CHRO, I mean, what's your core business case and set of priorities? I mean, you, you mentioned them a bit before, but you know, what are some of the, what's that narrative that you would put forth to inspire confidence for them to sit back and go, oh, you know, that's what I need to do. That's what I need to prioritize to actually create this capability. What, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, it's interesting. And I'll kind of link back to something you said a moment ago and kind of be a bit challenging as well. So mm-hmm. welcome you to come back at me. So people analytics is a practice and has become a practice. And it wasn't when I started kind of, you know, even if we wind back to early kind of, you know, 2000s type era, you know, most HR groups had a team of people that could do reporting, right? And anything that was data related, they threw to the reporting team. I do worry that modern people analytics teams are actually just the modern reporting teams. They're the people that get data and the complex questions get thrown to their team, as opposed to that as a skill and capability isn't permeating the entire HR group. So I think that's kind of, you know, a challenge, I think, for people analytics to make it kind of, you know, a part of everyday business for HR and, and the organization as opposed to a specialized group that sits in the corner. So, so I think that's kind of one challenge I've got for the, for the profession. The other thing, though, about that I kind of feel is that people analytics is good strategic HR. 
So the first thing I would have as a conversation with that CHRO is, okay, let's talk about what really matters. So what are the key things we're trying to achieve? What are the business objectives we've got? What are our key HR priorities? Are those things lined up? And then how do we measure impact on those things? So that would be the conversation I would have because then you're not having a technical conversation. You're having a conversation about how do they get done, what they need to get done to make this you know, business thrive. And then, you know, we can then say, okay, this is how you assemble and bring forth powerful arguments in the form of data to help drive those decisions. You know, as again, you're talking, I'm thinking that, okay, I'm CHO, makes perfect sense, but I have half dozen solutions already. All of them say they do analytics. So I have not created some clarity for myself and my team. There's this esoteric notion. So my question to you, have you seen leaders and organizations that have done people analytics effectively like take a step back and really define what it is for them so they have a consistent language that they're speaking internally? And in other words, defining what reporting is vis-a-vis analytics? Yeah, look, I think, to be quite honest, I think there are lots of taxonomies you can apply there and, and, you know, we've got them and, you know, there are lots of, you know, maturity models out there as well. I kind of feel like that's a internal way of looking at it. It's a kind of a practice way of looking at it as opposed to an outcome way of looking at it. I also think that people feel that there's, you know, good strategic analytical stuff and then there's operational stuff that's not important. Whereas I kind of feel that it's all just a continuum of questions that need answering and some are hard to answer and some are not. And so I kind of feel like it is actually more about just keying in on, you know, what are the things we are trying to change and then how do we know when we're going to have an, a change impact on that thing? And that's where you need to assemble your data. So, so sometimes that's really tactical information. You know, if you're a, you know, a business that's listed on the, on the exchanges, then you need to hit your headcount number every quarter and you get marked up or down whether or not you hit that number. So that, you know, that requires, you know, some basic math, but also some good kind of predictive forecasting to do it. So it feels like a, operational thing but it's like super important whereas you know you know there are other questions that really matter as well like okay you know what's our diversity in our senior leadership group and how are our funnels driving for that you know the, that's a more sophisticated question you know do we have a good level of pay equity and what are the drivers for you know influencing that so these are you know just different types of questions but, but all of them are around the same topic so I think it's about you know what skills you bring to bear to answer different questions that really matter. Yeah, again, if I'm a CHRO and I'm hearing that and I'm like, absolutely, yes. I'm also thinking that, you know, I have this consulting firm that I've been working with for the last several years. I have, you know, this peer group that I'm a part of and I also have, you know, my direct reports coming at me with ideas. So everyone has an opinion and wants to have that conversation. Yet, there are very few people such as yourself who understand the data and underlying technologies, thus understand the limitations and potential opportunities that might not be present to some because everyone's like, oh, you know, let's do that metric. Let's get that insight. Yet they don't understand the underlying work involved. And it might not be possible, you know, given the number of entities involved, the data is not structured properly. There could have been a recent acquisition. So yeah, my, again, pointed question to you is if there's a bunch of 
people trying to get attention on that very conversation from a CHRO. How do you as an external advisor or how would you coach a people analytics professional who's maybe a team of one or two, if you can call a team of one or two a team, but you know, small capability, how can you advise them to you know, have a, okay, I'm the person, I, I'm the one who's most able not only to facilitate this conversation, but deliver after the fact. So a couple of things, and I'll, I'll maybe also, obviously, the kind of part of this, I'll kind of shamelessly promote the approach we have as a yeah. model. Go ahead. But, but I mean, the name, but the name of the company embodies our philosophy, which is you need one model of mm. all that to come together. So we started out as more of a platform than a analytic capability company. So we started out with a vision around just creating a central data hub for HR because of this disparity of systems. So we break, so we created tools to connect to lots of different systems and pull it in, create a unified view of it and really simply and really easily and do it super fast. So so that was kind of that's kind of job one, orchestrating the data. And that's also really hard. So the reason why a lot of people haven't done this well is it's just hard work. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you don't have experience in people analytics or people data or experience in HR generally, it's going to be a kind of a long project. So, you know, I, I couldn't count the number of projects that I've seen where you throw it to IT or a consulting group, and then they can and start asking you as a prof- HR professional, okay, what's this FTE thing? How do we calculate that? And you know, what are all these? What do you mean you've got people who have different, you know, hourly rates and different you know, numbers of hours they work, and all this kind of level of detail that no one really appreciates until you get into the weeds. So definitely there's kind of the understanding that and doing it well relies on good tools, but just lots of experience. So the fact that we've done hundreds and hundreds of times lets us do it fast and do it well for companies. So that's kind of challenge one. The other challenge is just simply being able to then understand what matters and and then tell stories that are compelling. So converting raw data into things that matter is obviously like a really big challenge. So that's kind of one of the other challenges we, we solve for. And also having out-of-the-box content. So uh, our colleague, Nick Garbus, who you spoke with recently, you know, is actually you know, in charge of a lot of that content development for us so that we make sure that we're, we're delivering content that works out-of-the-box for those that don't really have much of a clue to start with, right? So if they're interested in high-performer retention, we say, okay, based on working with many, many organizations, here are like the five ways you can look at that, get going. So I think there's definitely something about, you know, helping someone get going fast because then that fast tracks their learning. So something that we try and do is we just try and go fast, get it up, get it working. And then people say, oh, okay, I understand now. You're not, you're not come dealing in a metaphorical conversation. You're dealing with real data, their organization, their metrics. And all of a sudden they say, oh, okay, I wish this was calculated in a different way. And you can make those calculations right and relevant and tweaked and then have the right impact. So, so that's kind of the starting point for us. Okay get your data together, get a true deep understanding of it, and then make it make it relevant and make sense for the organization. As I have long said, you know, you and I not only are drinking the Kool-Aid, we've been making the Kool-Aid for a long time. And there's a handful of people I say that about. That's good. Yeah, You're that's certainly good. in that category. I don't even know if Kool-Aid's a recognizable brand to, <laughs> to younger folks. Okay. But anyway, just run with it. So what is happening is that many CHROs and heads of talent, whoever's hiring a people analytics professional is looking at the market and saying, all right, I'm going to fix this by hiring the right person. And that means hiring a data scientist and they're going to come in and wave a wand and everything's going to work out. 
They're going to do everything that you just said. But as you and I have both long talked about, that doesn't happen. So, you know, as you advise CHROs kind of driving that home, it's not hiring the data scientists and hoping it works out. It's actually finding someone to do this work that you're talking about, the data orchestration, the, the managing the data, and maybe a data scientist's approach is appropriate downstream or not. You might hire a consultant or someone who's going to facilitate change. Is that your thinking as well? Yeah. I mean, it's proven and there's a heap of stuff written on this that you know, 80% of the work of a data scientist is assembling data and organizing it, refining it, then building models. And then the last 5% is getting insights. So, so yeah, so our model is definitely to turn that upside down. So mm-hmm. scaling the work of a data scientist to make them more productive and having a better impact by taking away the data engineering is kind of, yeah, is definitely job one. So I think, yeah, if, if you're starting a practice, you definitely need to you know, have some data engineering, however that's done, whether you hire someone that can do all the data integration or whether your IT team can do it, whether you partner with someone, one model, someone else, that's kind of you know, definitely necessary, not sufficient for success, but necessary for success. Hiring someone, I've seen this many times, you know, hiring the, the PhD to come in and figure stuff out, yeah, it's going to be a bad time for that person and you're not going to get the return. And heaps of examples of organizations that have hired a team of people who wanted to do really interesting stuff and could do a few jobs, but then that was kind of it. I mean, you know, I think, you know, you need to, you need to scale and you need to automate as well. So I think, you know, the thing with automation is you get consistency. And a lot of these things kind of, if I go back to the challenges, one of the big challenges that HR has faced over the years is trust and confidence in the data. So if you haven't got good consistency on that data transformation and that modeling, then, you know, you can have a data scientist building lots of models, but every time you get a model, it's slightly different. You're wondering, why is that? Oh, for this model, we took these things in and out and that made the model better. Oh, okay. But now we have no way of comparing that to the previous or to last year or so I think you get into all these problems around confidence and if someone doesn't like the message, the first thing they're going to attack is the methodology. So if you're standing in front of your your executive team or your board and you've got your you know, your dashboard open and if someone says, prove that number to me, it looks like it's out by X percent. And if you're on the back foot, you're, in, you're going to have a bad day. Yeah. And there's really, particularly given what's happening in the world right now, there's no time to have errors like that and lose trust of an executive audience who, you know, needs to take action that in some cases are going to, you know, put people at risk or keep them more safe. So, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's where people analytics is different to a lot of other analytical disciplines as well is because these models you build and these formulas and whatever else affect people's lives. Like you're making decisions that affect people's careers and their pay and everything else. So, kind of your level of surety needs to be much higher than it does for, for any other discipline. Yeah, just to, to step back for a minute. So if I'm here in 2020 and I have limited resources, my budgets are, you know, who knows what my budgets look like. They're not probably going up. So I, however, am being tasked with identifying how people are thinking and feeling within the workforce. So that screams, you know, doing surveys or, or you know, listening. It also means that there's external data out there that relates to COVID-19, whether it be number of people who are getting sick, 
number of hospital beds, you know, a variety of yep. data that could be brought in. However, if I don't have the platform, if I don't have the technology that can consume that and juxtapose that to my workforce data, then arguably I'm not able to help the organization move forward. So my question to you is, what is the business case or the value proposition that you have right here, right now? If, you know, with limited resources, why should you investing in a people analytics solution be elevated in priority from your perspective? I think more than anything at this point in time, your room for making bad decisions is kind of reduced, right? So the impact is magnified. So when you've got lots of space, when you've got lots of you know, room in your budget, when you've got a surplus of, of, of you know, talent and everything else, yeah, you can be looser with your decision making. But I think you know, when, when the stakes are higher, that's when you need to be more sure of the calls you're going to make. And so mm. I think that's kind of you know, point number one I'd make around you know, the value of data-based decision making. You know, if you Making a decision based on your gut feel is not going to fly in the current climate. I think that's kind of really element, right? So I think so. Step one is, you know, you need to be able to have good, solid arguments as to why you do X and why you don't do Y, or the other way around. So I think that's kind of you know, kind of my core argument for it. I think also there's a there's a kind of a risk of not doing it. So the risk of not doing it is that you you kind of you can play out some you know, decisions where if you out by one or two percent maybe it doesn't matter but if you're out by one and two percent and you've got a really big workforce that's going to make a lot of a lot of impact right right so I think you know, you can tweak some things a little bit and it can make a big difference but you can also you know make a a big impact in a lot of areas that you kind of have maybe haven't played in much in the past as well. There's room here to bring data to bear to problems where normally you don't have to have to do it because it's easy, right? Making some of those decisions are easy, but now you have to, you know, have to be more disciplined in doing in, in, in making those calls. What would you say to those who, you know, budgets were made last year? Let's say operating on a calendar year cycle, budgets were made Q3, Q4 of last year. Allocating money for people at an exclusion was not in the plan. And you've been around long enough to know that many, all too many have said, well, we're going to implement this and then we'll do that. And then we'll do that never happens. It's just kind of perpetual, you know, back burner. We're not there yet. And it makes me go like this and probably does something similar to you. However, to your point, we're in a different place right now. So what would you say to those who you know, haven't allocated the budget, who are halfway through an implementation of a core HR system that you know, all of a sudden, you know, all these reporting and analysis needs are being thrown at them and they're ill-equipped and they might have to stop something to you know, do something like to engage you or a similar solution. So what would you say to those who are in that situation? So I think there's always a question around when's the right time to implement a people analytics capability and yeah and what you described is unbelievably common in terms of oh okay we've got a plan to upgrade our hris we'll wait till that rolls out and then we'll get on to this thing and i think you know the the answer to that kind of thinking is imagine if you had it today imagine if you were up and running today over the next couple of weeks 
that would be a, like you would be able to make much better decisions and have a bigger impact on the business now as opposed to deferring decisions over the next 18 months. Imagine if COVID-19 you know, was not happening, kind of it'd all be easier, right, in terms of relative decision-making. Imagine if you had made the decision a year ago to implement an analytic solution. You'd be reaping the benefits of it now. So I kind of feel that you can always defer but that's always the easy decision. Deferring is the easy decision. Doing nothing is easy, but it's also unbelievably naive. And getting going today is what I always recommend. So no matter what the complexity of your platforms and ecosystem, you just start with what you've got. So start with what you've got, get better decisions happening. And then as things change, you morph the background. So I think the reality is everything's always changing. I've actually seen companies who would invest in a two-year project to implement the HRIS, and six months later, they say, okay, we're going to implement a different HRIS. Those decisions happen. So you're on a five-year roller coaster of you know, deferring analytics, and you're not kind of being very effective as a, as a HR function if you're not using database decision-making. So I kind of feel like just do it, get in early, and then figure it out as you go. That's kind of, that's kind of and I'd be interested to know if this has been true in your experience as well. I've actually seen analytic solutions help not only inform what solutions they should get because they're lacking certain data to improve the story so they can understand the dynamic and the workforce experience, the employee experience better, but also help prioritize what those solutions could be, whether it be at a module level or just at a, at a process or solution type level. So if you're making those decisions in absence of an analytical solution, you're arguably incurring more risk than you have to. Would you agree with that? Totally. Having a good understanding of analytics helps you understand the endpoint for the use of a lot of that data. So, so what you can do is you can inform the implementation, which is kind of what you're driving at there. And so you can say, okay, you know, when you're building those table structures for your, you know, your recruiting and hiring, make sure you include these data points and have a conversation around, okay, what are your, you know, what are your process flows and where are the potential breakpoints in the process? And let's make sure that we're capturing that so that downstream you're able to understand the ROI of those things much better. So I think definitely. I've seen a lot of examples of that where the understanding of the analytics endpoint helps inform all the inputs into it. Otherwise, then you've got to go back and change those processes and and that's a much harder journey to be on. Yeah, agreed. So I have a couple more questions and, and then we can uh, wrap. My, my second and last question is around AI and ML because that has, you know, up until a couple months ago, that's where you know, a lot of attention was being focused. It's like, I'm not going to entertain a solution unless it can take me to this future state. And there's kind of a bright light, bright light idea around, you know, AI and ML. So what's your take? I mean, for a layman, CHRO, head of talent, you know, what, what's the value of AI ML solutions? So the value of a solution set that can do that is that you're always looking for, whether it be through a workforce planning process or through something else, if you're looking backwards, then your decisions are only as good as what happened in the past. Now, arguably, a lot of machine learning is based on using the past to predict the future, sure, but at least you're then able to influence the forecasts or influence the predictive decision-making around, okay, what, what could happen? So I think this gives you an ability to do some 
some what if around the future, which gives you an ability to be on the front foot around decision making. So for me, the biggest value of machine learning capability is that it lets you crunch numbers in a way that people can't do at a scale that you know is kind of you know something that people can't do as well and lets you then do lots of what if around what could happen because then what you can play out is okay if we do a particular strategy what are the outcomes of that strategy and you can see that play out as well so i think for me it's about so this capability is about getting into action so so taking analytics into an action orientation that's the way we think about it in our organization, and that is you know, every piece of analysis we're doing, how do we think of what the decision point is for that? So something we're actually deploying this, this month, actually tomorrow for our customers out there is native forecasting built into pretty much every metric we deliver as a default capability within the suite. So the idea is whenever you're looking at a number you know, voluntary turnover is the classic example in the current climate, maybe not that important, but you want to know where you're going to end the year, not just where you are now. And this is the same for every number. Headcount, let's project that out. Let's do some what if. Let's see what that's going to look like. Let's look at our budgets. Let's look at all those things. You know, in this current change climate, let's look at, and some of our customers are doing this, let's look at our leave balances and our leave accrual because maybe we, you know, we're going to have to run that down to be able to keep people employed, but at the same time, you know, deal with the reality of our budgets and, and, and ability to work as a company. So, so machine learning and AI and all that kind of tooling gives you the ability to do that. What it is for me, in essence, though, is programming statistics. It's kind of what it is. Mm-hmm. And so this kind of world of the data scientist, my viewpoint on all this is you always need people who can do like really good statistics. And machine learning lets you scale their ability to do lots of that. So in our platform, we run models that just run on a scheduled basis. They run and they run and they run. And you can review the performance of all the different models and say, okay, I want to promote this one. And oftentimes you want to know some statistics to make that decision. Leaving it up to the machine is okay, but probably not the thing I would do. Long-winded answer, but I think machine learning lets you step into the future, lets you get into an action orientation as opposed to just reporting what happened in the past. Yeah, no, no, I, I like it. It's one of the key takeaways there too is that scale, right? Because it, you yeah. do things with a computer and in that form beyond what just an individual running numbers can do, certainly. Yeah. So my, my final question relates to the, the here and now and with COVID-19. You know, where do you see the discipline heading, particularly with relation to the return to workplace that many employers are thinking about now, as well as you know, mitigating you know, risk? You know, how do you see people analytics playing you know, a role? And I, I know that's a big question, but you know, just, you know, do you think people analytics is going to grow in terms of its importance and impact? I know we both hope that. But you know, just be interested in your thoughts on you know what you believe will be the case, you know, over the next few months and likely a few years. Yeah, I think it, I think it should, and I think the reason for that is if I back to an earlier point around people analytics and the connection to strategy, I kind of feel like every people analytics function should be a part of the strategy group within the HR or corporate strategy group. So every time I've been in an analytics function. I've also been involved in setting the policies and doing the strategic work for workforce planning or whatever it might be. So I think if your people analytics group is connected to the strategy group, 
If it isn't, then it should be. So assuming that it is, then I think, you know, then you're going to be in the driver's seat for helping make these decisions. So, you know, so how do you understand risk across the company relative to the external environment? Because you're going to have different, you know, workforce issues for different geographies, different types of jobs. So, you know, without data, you're not going to be able to understand all that. It's as simple as that. Yeah, many of our customers are doing exactly that. And that is, you know, really looking at the data more than they have actually in the past. So I kind of feel like, you know, if nothing else, this kind of situation has shown the importance of good data because those that have it are reaping the benefits by being able to very quickly lay out their workforce, look at their different jobs in different locations and the risk profiles and understand, you know, what to do next, basically. Love it. As I sign off with my fellow Kool-Aid maker here, um, how can people get in touch with you and learn more about One Model? So our website, onemodel.co, is out there. I'm also on LinkedIn, pretty easy to find, Tony Ashton at One Model. My email and everything is in there. So yeah, happy to be connected and, and to continue the conversation. Well, Tony, again, thanks for sharing time. Always a pleasure to, to catch up with you. And yeah, I look forward to seeing you in person, hopefully before too long. Yes, we'll go to a volleyball tournament somewhere on a beach, uh, <laughs> whether it be Sydney good. or Deal. San Francisco. I'm sold. <laughs> okay. All right. Be well. Okay. Thanks. Thanks for joining the People Analytics and Future of Work podcast with Al Adamson. To find other podcasts, videos, upcoming events, and to join the Global People Analytics Network, please visit us at globalpeopleanalytics.net.